If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Hey, thanks for watching this video on the And those videos are so helpful. So ruach. Is that too much? <laughs> You all have it in you. That's really cool. Um, hey, welcome to H2O again. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. We are continuing our series titled Creed. So looking forward to hearing John continue the, the teaching series in that. Um, also, if you could grab your bulletin. If you have not filled out one of these blue cards, we would love to have you um, connected. Um, Learn more about what's going on here at H2O and help us get you connected into life groups and all that. So fill that out for us. Give us some information on who you are, and we will be collecting these later. Hello and good morning. My name's Marianne, and this is my best friend, Caleb. Hi. He's also the Sunday coordinator. Today we're going to give you a family update. 
So next week is Mother's Day, May 12th, and we are going to be dedicating babies to the Lord. We have three right now, but we do have a few spots open if you would like to dedicate your uh, toddler or infant to the Lord. Please see me um, if you would like some more information. But the day before we celebrate mothers, we are going to be doing our men's ministry. So courageous. Um, we're going to meet at, well, my house, but my really my dad's house, the Heber household, May 11th at 10 a.m. So if you are a man, you better be there. All right. They'll be celebrating and engaging in authentic masculinity. There's a Facebook sign-up page and invite uh, if you want more information. And then the last announcement is we would like some summer musicians. We're going to be a little sparse. People are traveling and having a really good time. So if you are a vocalist or um, you can play the drums, musician, please contact Carrie Gatro or myself. We would love a commitment from you so we can have a wonderful worship band during the summer. And at this time, you may go ahead and meet people and or greet people as we wait for our teaching. I pray the block is glockless, empty your gabber things. You'll never become prosperous by way of savage things. Preposterous, you will not profit from wicked things. Philosophers explain only from what they seen A study, my degree is from the king of kings. Bloody, I come from the home of the triple beams. Shelly by the stories of army and crippled things. Zombies off wet, Xanax in the fifth of lean. Crystal meth or success from getting out your dreams. Whatever drug you choose, it's at war with the truth. Going back and forth, trying to play God and leave you confused. Control is. I feel every time I swear I'm in control. What good is it to gain the world and lose yourself? Trying to be a general, supposed to be a soldier Ain't trying to be subliminal when I mention Jehovah I was about to be a criminal, my clip was half-loaded Then living water replaced my Hennessy and soda Holy Spirit told me he was taking over Changed my focus, only thing I got to keep was my composure Had to relinquish the power, scream as Venus is sour Went from those who snorted powder to banging that David Crowder Oh, how he loves us. He who hovers above us in control us, but without the psychology of a hustler. A hustler. I thought I knew what I wanted in life, but then I saw the light and couldn't stomach the price. Holding pistols, gambling with my life. Throwing dice, then by his grace I gained sight of my control issues. I feel every time I swear I'm in control. All right, everybody, go ahead and grab a seat. <clears throat> grab a seat, come on forward. Hey, what we like to do here at H2O every now and then is to give someone an opportunity to share their story or to do an interview. And so, this morning, I get to interview... Rico. Rico. So, Rico, how long have you been coming around to H2O? Coming up on a year in June. I don't believe it. That's been a fast year. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd like you to tell me what first attracted you to H2O. Well, you know I'm tempted to, to just play with this the whole time. So, uh, yeah, I was doing some research looking for a church to to find, and then I saw that this church was right around the corner. I'm like, oh, well, let's check this out. Spiritually curious, and that 
that's interesting. And I, I wanted to find a place that's a little more uh, theological and kind of goes into the deeper issues that we as humanity face, Christians, non-Christians, and people who are curious, and I was attracted. I didn't hear you mention the pastors. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> All right, so tell us a little bit about your uh, spiritual upbringing. Did you have much of one? Yeah, I actually did. I had a very strong spiritual upbringing. I had pastors in my family from my grandfather to a few uncles and a large family that prays a lot. All right, so pastors in your upbringing. So are you going to become a pastor? Hmm, I'll have to think about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is the, when, when did you become like a, a real Jesus follower? I would say actually recently. I've always been uh, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, but taking it seriously, I would say recently through my ordeal. If you could crystallize everything that you, you've learned, what would you say is, is the biggest lesson you've learned as a Christian? Trusting God, I say that's the biggest, the biggest hurdle or the biggest challenge or lesson that I learned um, when sometimes when life throws a curveball at you and you don't know uh, what to do. For me personally, I battled depression for about four years and it completely destroyed everything in my life from my relationships, losing my job, having no money and kind of losing everything in myself. And when that happens, you're like, okay, what, what, what's happening? But since I did grow up with sort of a, a strong faith background, I said, oh, well, I'm going to trust God. And I picture um, like I'm walking through this big storm uh, and God is there with me. And even though I'm getting hit with these things, all the big, you know, chunks that could take me out, God's somehow deflecting it. And when you go through it for so long and you start to see how God works and you build that trust, it's, it's amazing to kind of just let go and let God do his thing. Trust, I think, is allowing someone to impart their will on you in hopes that it'll help you out. So if I try to get in my own way or get in God's way, he can't work in me. So when you let go and just let God do his thing, it's, it's powerful what he can do and what he has planned for your life, even through the rough times. So. Now, for those of you that don't know, Rico is on our worship team. You all know that? And uh, let me just explain how he got there is that he was in our life group and we sang happy birthday. And as soon as he began to sing, everyone just stopped. It's like, wow, that's a sweet voice. I am not going to like be part of this. And we realized the guy needs to be up on a stage. So last question for you. What are we doing tonight, you and me? We're actually recording a song. So <laughs> I know. Low expectations. My daughter moved to Washington, D.C. and is becoming a flight attendant. So Kara and I wrote this song called So Fly. Get it? And uh, so Bobby and Rico and I are going to record it together. So that's fun. Anyway, round of applause for Rico, please. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So last week, I shared with you guys that Jim and I went to a pastor's conference. Um, you may notice that Jim and I are twinsies. Or you had the shirt on. You changed your shirt. So let me, can you see this? It, it's all about bearing fruit. And it's a bear holding a pineapple. And I got to be honest, uh, it was a great conference, but when, I, when they were handing out the, the free t-shirts, to me it felt like we had been in a meeting and someone had suggested this idea and like I put my head down and I'm shaking my head and then everyone in the group says, that's awesome, and they create the t-shirt. Uh, that was my experience, but some of you said you like it, so anyway, there you go. The uh, conference was actually a great time. Thank you for those of you that prayed. Honestly, the, one of the best things about the conference is kind of uh, surprising to me. Uh, Jim and I have always been friends forever. We've known each other forever. But like we hung out a lot together, and we became better friends this weekend, right? <laughs> Hugs are later. So, 
Um, this conference was uh, held at a place that I, I can't mention the name of, but maybe some of you can guess. There's a little clue from this next image I want to show you. Anyone have any idea what that is? Yes, University of Michigan, specifically. So the inside of it, this is, isn't that beautiful? This is the University of Michigan, uh, Michigan Law Library. Jim and I just thought if we went to a place really smart, maybe it would rub off on us. So I, would, I don't know if it did. There's a real heaviness uh, to the conference, though, that I want to share with you briefly about uh, a good friend of ours, John and Amy Draghi. We've known them forever. They're also from Bowling Green. And this image is Amy and John together sharing about his terminal brain cancer. And, uh, you know, he's about my age, and he doesn't know how much longer he has to live, maybe up to a couple of years. And he is facing this as courageously as any human being I've ever seen. He's created a blog. If you just Google search John Draghi Cancer or John Draghi Blog, you will find it. And he's kind of invited the world to journey with him. And I just think it's so amazing. Uh, Jim and I got to take him out for dinner one night. Here's Jim and uh, John and Mia sharing some family pictures. You can see the scar on the back of his head. But could we take just a second and pray for the Draghi family? God, I thank you for the encouragement, the constant joy that I have been a witness of in John Draghi. I think how you met him as a college student, and you changed his personality, his outlook, his perspective. You just made him a new and better human being. And I'm thankful that I've gotten to see that. We lift up this family and pray that you would assist them, that you would strengthen them and give them hope as you have been doing as they journey through this dark valley. I just thank you for my friendship with him, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I wanted to share where we're going as a church uh, here in the short run here. Next week, we're going to begin a new series that's called Unashamed. And so we're going to look at the early followers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, Paul, Timothy, John, and as we look at their lives, there is a distinct kind of Christianity that they modeled, and that was, I am not ashamed of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. We live in very different times, and I want to share some statistics with you. Christians, it has been surveyed by David Kinnaman, uh, a survey of 18 to 30-year-olds, found their perspectives toward Christianity was they believe 91% of us are anti-homosexual, that 85% of us are hypocritical, that 75% are too involved in politics, that 70% are insensitive, that 87% are judgmental, 78% are old-fashioned, 72% are out of touch with reality, and 68% of us are just boring. <laughs> um, ouch. I, I, I don't believe that we were included in this survey. That's not my understanding of who H2O is. But there's a real crisis in the world in the way people experience the Christian faith. And so in this series and in our life groups, we're going to take a good hard look at what it means to be a light to the world and how each of us can journey, no matter where we're at, to a place where we're just flat out shining a very bright light to the world. And so that's where we're going to go. We are in the last teaching in this series called Creed. We began with creation. We've gone through 11 talks looking at what the early Christians believed and what 
all Christians should believe. The last three weeks, we've looked at the atonement, that great moment when Christ died on the cross for our sins. We followed that up with the resurrection on Easter Sunday, the proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Last week, we talked about the ascension, and I made this statement that many of us have a thin theology of the, of the ascension, that we understand why Christ died, we understand why he needed to rise again, but when we get to the part of Jesus returning to the Father, it's like, yeah, not too sure why that's all that significant. And the reason why it is significant is it is at that point when Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the church. So look with me at Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Please notice the wording here. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The ascension of Jesus is hugely important. And there's four things I want you to see about it. First is this. The ascension is the coronation of Christ as king. It's the coronation of Jesus as king. Jesus becoming king of the universe, not just the church. Jesus said, I have all power and authority. And so when we think of Jesus, we're not just to think about him dying for us. We're not just to think about the beauty of his life. We're, we're to think of him having all power and all authority, and he can do anything he wants because he's the king of the universe. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. As king, Jesus' first move is to give us the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just think about this. When someone becomes president or someone becomes king, their first move is incredibly important. What legislation will they pass? What will they do? Think about all the evils of the world that Jesus, having all power and authority, could instantly remedy if he chose to. And yet, what's he do? As soon as he becomes king, the first thing he does is to say, I'm going to do something through my people. In other words, I am not going to change this world by myself. My people are going to change this world. Let's just, let's just let this sink in for a minute. It's as if he's saying, my kingdom moves forward based on my people connecting the dots, treating me as king, and dreaming big dreams. Not remaining small. Not thinking that, oh, God can't use me. I have so many weaknesses and problems and struggles that we would dream big dreams. Why? Because he's king. And he can do whatever he wants, and he's given his spirit to me. Third thing. His Holy Spirit has many different names. The name that I connect with the most is the Spirit of Jesus because it, it centers me. What does the Spirit of Jesus want to do? It makes me like Jesus. His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, implies we don't have what it takes. It's as if Jesus rips open his chest and puts his heart inside of us. When, when the dots connect on this, we stop trying to be good. We stop trying to maintain an image. It's as if God looks at us. It's as if Jesus looks at us and says, you guys are really a train wreck, honestly. My confidence in you and your ability and your power is hovering around zero. But here's the deal. I'm going to put my very heart, my beating heart inside of you. That, that is what connects with me about the Holy Spirit, is something happened because Jesus became king, and it's him moving inside of us. I remember when I read for the first time as a young Christian that Christ is in you. I thought, what, Christ 
is in me through his spirit. And then I began pouring over the scriptures and I read it again and again and again and again. And so the heart of Christianity is that he is in us. And yet the heart of what many of us experience is I must do for him. And we get it backwards. Here's the final thing, the fourth thing. Let's be clear, Jesus gave his spirit to his people in order to accomplish his mission. Jesus has a very clear mission, a very clear purpose. And you can be a Christian for a gazillion years and miss it. You can hear this sermon a hundred times and you can miss it. Jesus said, what man owning a hundred sheep would not leave the 99 to go search for the one that is lost. The mission of Jesus is to seek and to save people that have yet, not yet come into his kingdom. And that is the driving heart of the church and the mission of our lives. So what I want to do with the time I have is I want to share the verses about the Holy Spirit that have had the most impact on me. And there's way more that I can actually get to. We're going to have a hard stop at one point, and I'm just going to share something personal with you. But these are the verses that have had the most impact on me, okay? First one is this. Out of John 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth who the, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. At this point, the disciples of Jesus have seen some really cool things and they've had great experiences. And Jesus says, looking forward to Pentecost when he gives the Holy Spirit to the church, he's saying, you've had some great experiences, but it's going to be in you. Here's what this did for me is I realized long before I became a Christian, I had sacred experiences. The Holy Spirit was at work on me long before I came to the point of understanding the gospel. Isn't that true of you? Can you like track in your history? Haven't there been moments when you walked under the stars and just thought, like, there's something out there? Haven't there been moments, sacred moments, when maybe it's when you came to a church for the first time and you just felt something. The book of Hebrews says that people experience the powers of the kingdom like even before we become Christians. So I remember for me, we had this, I, I've, I've talked about my church before, a very weird uh, church that really did, did not talk about Jesus. So enough said on that. It's very weird. But we had this church camp, Camp Wakanda, and at the end of the church camp, where we didn't talk about Jesus, we would get together and we would have communion. And we'd all be in this circle, and we'd take communion together like we're going to today. And nothing was explained about the blood and about the bread and what they represented. But we passed around the communion elements, and then we all wept. And I remember, it's like, I have no idea why I'm even crying. It's just God was, in a sense, tugging and saying, I'm really here. So we all have likely had experiences with the Holy Spirit prior to coming to know Jesus. Here's the second thing. Second verse, John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. Uh, let's just think about this. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have Jesus here in person, geographically bound by a body with us all, leading this church, or would you rather have the Holy Spirit inside of you? All right, this, you know, my feelings won't be hurt here. You know, the right answer is any of us, if we were honest, like, I'd rather have Jesus, right? I mean, that'd be so cool. And yet Jesus said, no, there's something better. The Holy Spirit in you is better than me being with you geographically bound by a body. Do you guys see that? Like, this is stunning to me. This is very encouraging to me. 
But it also helps me to see that, you know, there's like, I'm supposed to be experiencing more here. It's to your advantage. And Jesus says, I will send a helper. And I got to admit, I just think of Steve Reed here. Uh, one of our pastors here. Because whenever, y- y- you all know, I'm not real good at stuff around the house, right? I mean, if I start to do anything on the house, you all start praying. I mean, that's what happens. That's just reality. And so the number of times that I've called him and said, hey, you know, how do you change light bulb? I mean, really, can you hel- help me here? And he would basically drop anything and come over because he's a helper. And I've realized that we only, this is actually profound, what I'm about to say, we only experience help if we're crystal clear that I need help. Like the Holy Spirit does not impose himself on us. And so it's only when I realize I need help with my marriage, God, would you help me? I need help to be bold and to live unashamed that he helps me. I need help to open up the Bible and actually get something out of it. I need help with my emotions. I need help to stop thinking about myself. I I need him. And it's only when we recognize that need and we ask for help that he helps. (laughs) That's really changed me. That's been very, very helpful to me. Next verse that has changed me. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is Galatians 5. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's a lot to unpack here. But first of all, fruit. This image, how do you bear fruit? What do you do? How do you become a strong Christian? What do you need to do? The thing about fruit and the whole illustration is that you put a tree under sunlight and you water it just a little bit. If it just gets some roots in the ground, it grows automatically and spontaneously. And this stuff is supposed to happen. Here's how this impacted me. I know this is hard to believe, but when I was a young Christian, I had many character flaws, many issues that I needed to grow in. And what this helped me with is to realize the Christian experience is not receiving more of what I want. God has placed everything that we need He has given us everything we need. All the love that I would like to be part of my character is already in the Holy Spirit in me. Do do you catch that? All the peace, like the ability to face hardship. And you know, we're amazed when we see someone go through hardship like John Draghi is going through and to have this remarkable peace. All the peace that he would ever need is in the Holy Spirit inside of him. All the joy that we would ever want, God has already placed inside of us in the Holy Spirit. What this tells me is no no matter where you're at today, if you remain connected to Jesus, he is able to bring about an amazing life. Personally, I want to be the most loving me I can possibly be. I want to walk in joy. I want to be known for peace and all the rest, like gentleness. I I don't know if I want to ask this. Do you guys think I'm gentle? Yeah, like I know I'm gentle. And I know when I started out, like, no. I would have people correct me almost every week. It's like, dude, you made a girl cry again. It's like, oh, man, again. I had no gentleness. But I just kept letting my roots sink into the ground. I kept listening to preachers preach and reading and hanging out with Christians, and it just caused this natural fruit. Next verse. 
verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can you skip forward to verse 17 and 18? I also have that. It's like two, two slides down is all. Or I could just stand here awkwardly either way. It's fine. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And this is an amazing verse. This is so helpful because as a Christian, I thought I have impulses in me for God. I love God. I want to serve God. I want to follow God. I also got other impulses. This helped me to realize I'm sane. Do you guys get some of you are like, yes, totally. This is so helpful to know there's a war inside of you. There is a war inside of you. Your old you is fighting against the Holy Spirit. And look how it's even worded so you won't do what you want to do. In other words, if God left me to myself, ugh. Now go back to verse 16 if you can. I'm asking a lot. There we go. This is so encouraging. It's set, it's Paul's making a promise here. It's saying, if you do one thing, I love th people that simplify things. And Paul is saying, you want to have victory over your struggle, whatever that is. For me, as a, from the moment that I became a Christian, I had huge problems with swearing and lust and drunkenness and pride and harshness. I could go on for a long time right now. And this verse gave me a lot of hope. It's as if God sat down with me and said, look, if you can learn one thing, you're going to hear Christians tell you, here's 20 things you need to do to make progress against your sin. I'm telling you there's one. If you can learn how to walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify. You will not gratify the desires of your flesh. This was so helpful to me. It took all of Christianity down into one simple point. Am I walking by the power of the Spirit or by my own power. Very, very helpful to me. Can you go to the war image? Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, therefore. The book of Romans says, Put to death by the Spirit. And in our progress as Christians, you know what? We've talked a lot about grace, haven't we? Do we talk a lot about grace? We, we talk about grace and God's unmerited favor and God being your best coach, someone that draws alongside of you, someone who's encouraging you. We say that grace enables God to accept us no matter where we're at right now. But grace also does something else. Grace kind of nudges us to pull out a knife and to deal with our junk ruthlessly and to make a strong decision to yield an area of our life to God. And maybe right now as you're listening, there's an area in your life where you know, man, that's my area. And what Paul writes us here is to put it to death, to rely on the Holy Spirit to put it to death. I don't know, that really encouraged me because I knew that there was stuff that if I didn't kill, it would kill me. All right, just a few more verses here. Next. Whatever is next. Skip the, yeah. Okay. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you know how many people he said that to? No, more than 12. It's 120. But look what it says. You guys will conquer your city and the region and the known world. Which is kind of a bold claim, right? It's huge. 
He says, you'll receive power. And part of me wants to disagree with Luke, who's writing the book of Acts and say, not necessarily. Because it really depends on whether you're willing to surrender your life to the Holy Spirit. I know for me, there have been so many occasions when I had the opportunity, like, do I stand up and say something or do I live unashamed? Next, next verse, please. I love what Jesus said here. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to hear this real clearly, is that we need to have a surrendered heart, but if we have a surrendered heart, God is saying, I'm going to show up in that moment. I'm going to prompt you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of push you and lead you to speak up. I remember when I learned this verse, actually. It was back when I was in college at Ohio State, and I was, ooh, let's try that again. It was back when I was at Ohio State. All right. Caitlin, my adoptive daughter. Um, and I remember I was taking a philosophy class, and they brought in an atheist to speak to the class. And I remember thinking, well, that's interesting. Why, why are they doing that? And the atheist was not only there to share his faith in nothing, but he was there to convert us. And the stronger he preached about the beauties of having no hope, no ground for morality, no free will, no such thing as love, the further he, the longer he preached and espoused the beauties of atheism, Something was just unsettled in me. It's like, oh man, I gotta do something here. I gotta, I gotta say something. And then he moved into talking about a theory about the resurrection or about the crucifixion, actually, called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory is basically this: that Jesus did not really die. He just swooned. He just went unconscious. And so I remember that moment. I'm, I'm like sitting there in my seat. And it's like I have a choice here. Either I live ashamed of Jesus or I stand up in front of this philosophy class and I might sound like an idiot. But this promise was there. And I stood up. And I raised my hand, and I said something like this. I want to make, a, make sure I understand your position. Is your position that after Jesus was arrested and pulled an all-nighter and stood on trial three times and had his beard plucked out and had a, thorn, a crown of thorns put on his head, and then he was beaten with rods, driving the thorns into his skull. And then after that, he was taken out into a courtyard and whipped with what was called a cat of nine tails, which was a whip with strands of glass and metal in it. And the death penalty was 40 lashes, but he received 39, likely exposing not only the musculature, but the organs that were lying underneath. And then after that scourging, he was given a cross to carry, which weighed about 100 pounds. And he was so exhausted, he needed someone else to carry his cross. Up to Golgotha, where nails were actually driven through his wrists and through his feet. And after being up on the cross for six hours, a Roman soldier took a spear and plunged it underneath his ribcage into his heart. And you're telling us that he didn't die, was placed in a tomb where he felt better and appeared to the disciples. Is that what you're explaining to us? And all I can say is, 
you know, you let the Holy Spirit have control, cool things happen. So it was pretty cool. There's so much more I'd like to share with you, but I need to share something personal. I want to invite the band to the stage at this point. So uh, I think the first moment where I, I, I began to wonder, man, I, I wonder if something is up with me. I'm kind of, in some ways, I feel like I'm very in touch with my emotions. And other times, it's like my brain is like things are rattling around, and I, I don't quite access it. And I, I, I began sleeping really poorly, like four hours, and then I'd wake up. It's like I don't feel like I'm stressed, but like something's up. And, um, and so I just wondered, hey, I, I wonder what's wrong. And then over the last few weeks, maybe three weeks, I felt like I'm like this machine that's slowly grinding to a halt. And it's not surprising. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but the average uh, vocational experience of pastors that they, we last like five years did you know that, uh, that the average pastor works like 55 to 75 hours a week? You know, we're kind of always on call. We care about you, and we want to be avail available to you. And it's amazing how stress can just build up, and you go through these moments, a lot of really difficult moments. People that begin the journey and they decide not to people that you pour your life into and then they just leave and it's just it's a hard job man it's a hard job I hope you guys appreciate your pastors and so uh, I did I wasn't aware that a lot of this stuff was building up in, in me and uh, <laughs> I went I, I knew it's like something's wrong I need to go see a counselor and I, I, I went to a counselor a woman I trust and uh, I, I walked into the counselor, counselor's office. She's a very gifted counselor. I don't mean to take anything away from, from her, but, like, she didn't do anything. <laughs> we just began to talk, and I just felt the emotion just rise and then spill over, and I sobbed for about five minutes. And I just felt, man... I feel like I have been carrying so much weight for so long. I, this feels strange for me to share this with you because I feel very encouraged. Um, but I, 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 feel like, I feel like I'm being directed to take a little bit of time off. And uh, I went to this, this conference. Jim and I were at this conference. And um, I had six people come up to me and talk with me about taking a sabbatical. It's kind of odd. So uh, all of my, my buddies, all of our buddies at different churches, they've all, everyone has taken these sabbaticals for like six months or a year. It's like, what? Six months or a year. Um, so I did, what I wanted to share with you is, number one, just pray for us as we decide what we're going to do here. Uh, I think John is going to be sent on a very short sabbatical. Um, but that decision has not been made. We make decisions as a team. And we're going to come up with a great plan if I am uh, told to go lay down on a beach somewhere, um, that uh, we're going to come up with a, a great plan for the church. But I just want we really value vulnerability here, and I just wanted to share that with you, okay? So can I pray for me? And then uh, Jim's going to lead us into celebrating who Jesus is and what he's done for us in communion. I do just pray, Lord, that you would guide us into this decision in a healthy way and help us to think through it well. I know you want me to be overflowing with zeal and passion and love and vision and direction. And so I just ask you, Lord, to work in my heart and renew me and revive me for your kingdom and for your mission. In Jesus' name. So we're going to um, share in communion together. And uh, last night, last night I had a friend call me, and he is—he's not a Christian. He would say he's most likely an agnostic or atheist, or and left a message said, "Hey Jim, um, I, I really need to talk. I'm not doing well. I'd love to talk with you." And. Um, and it was cool. He said, we got on the phone, and he had just 
lost a, a friend, a really close friend who just died last week. And he said, isn't there this, um, <clears throat> I think there, it's like a parable or something. I don't, I can't remember, but something about um, like if there's 99 sheep or something that God would maybe go after just one, is that, and so it was great. It was a great opportunity to say, yeah, you know, it's like God, you know, Jesus had these parables where he would talk about God's heart towards us, that he'd be willing to leave to find just one of us. And so as John was sharing us, part of being on this mission and being energized with his spirit, like the video was talking about, is us continually remembering that he sought us out, went after us and saved us. And part of that, like an aid in remembering that, is us sharing in communion together. So we get to do that this morning individually and together as a, as a body. And so as the band is going to um, head into some worship here. You guys can head to the tables and grab the bread and the juice, and then individually, on your own timing, take that. And we're going to do that in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, that he sought us and went after us, and then willingly like, took the shame that we deserve and had his body broken and his blood shed so that we could be forgiven, that we could be filled with his spirit and experience him, and it's an amazing thing. So let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you worked for us. You worked, you said, I came, I came to accomplish this, the work that the Father has set out for me to do so that we could then enter your rest. And so, God, thank you for that. But that's part of even following you, is resting in you and enjoying our relationship with you. And so, God, as we head to the tables here, we just want to tell you thank you for dying for having your body willingly broken for us. When you were the king, when you could have broken everything yourself, you allowed yourself to be broken, God, so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be made whole again, and so we could be forgiven, so our sin could be washed away, that you would say, I remember your sin no more. I don't even remember. We're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.